I'm Christy Hurt, the founder of The CoLab, which is a member-led, inclusive global networking community for fashion, beauty, wellness, retail, and consumer luxury professionals. I'm glad you're back for season two, where we have more career stories. Every week, two members interview each other, so you'll get to hear two different stories. I hope you'll learn from these stories, listen to them, share them, and join us and tell your own story. Hi, my name is Anna Dorario Geller, and I'm here today with Annelise de Brook. She is based in she's been based in Portugal for almost a year now, and she's the chief creative officer of one of the biggest flower companies in the world, FTD or ProFlower. Hi, Annelise. Hi, Anna. Lovely to be with you today. Nice to talk to you here. Um why don't we start by you telling us where you were born and what, you, what was your childhood like in Belgium? Yeah, so I grew up about a half an hour outside of Antwerp, which was when I was growing up, like the absolute epicenter of avant-garde fashion. Um, I had my nose in the magazines from, you know, before I could actually read what was in them. Both of my grandmothers um, worked in fashion. Um, they both worked as something called uh, modeliste, which is a sort of mix between being a designer and a pattern maker. Um, mm -hmm. So they made, you know, sort of made-to-measure um, clothing, both of them, for a local uh, boutique. Uh -huh. And they always had magazines lying around. So I was, since, you know, since I was a, a young girl, very enthralled by fashion photography especially. Mm -hmm. um, I also danced ballet from a young age onward, uh, you know, which was also sort of like very fashion inspired and an and elegant sort of world. So I definitely had that whole fantasy um, of glamour, beauty, elegance. Like that was definitely a big part of my imagination growing up. Um, I did grow up in a small provincial town, uh, other than my grandmother's activities, which, you know, were, were really not considered um, creative jobs, actually, at the time. It was more like you made sure the clothes fit well and you chose a quality fabric and a flattering color for the customer. It wasn't really considered to be like uh, an artistic profession. Um, but, you know, obviously, in hindsight, I realized that it absolutely was. But the rest of my family, you know, they were in construction. My dad's a ship's captain. My mom's a homemaker. So, you know, no, no artists or, or creative professionals around me other than these two grandmothers that were, were definitely very influential. Um, I was an absolute bookworm. Um, I loved reading. I was very introverted, just like you, pretty shy, pretty nervous in, um, you know, big groups. Um, and, you know, I, from a young age, I just knew that, knew that I wanted to be in fashion, that I wanted to be a part of that world somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really understand what all the different roles at a fashion house were. So I had my eyes set on like, you know, being a designer, mm -hmm. um, but not actually fully realizing what that was. Um, I was a pretty good student, so my parents were definitely more leaning towards, hey, why don't you go and, you know, go to university and study something more conventional, and then you can go to an art school after, you know, you have your first degree. 
Um, so I can't say that they were very excited about my ambitions. Um, I mean, still supportive, but, you know, I think it was just, just felt very unknown to them and maybe not the safest choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about, like you mentioned about university. Tell me, yeah. what did you study? <laughs> well, I did go to an open day at the Antwerp and Ghent and Brussels fashion schools. Um, of course, you know, the Antwerp one is the most famous. And at all these schools, I felt like, wow, these students here, they're such artists. Like they have such a strong developed sense of who they are and what their message is and what they want to say. And the clothes they were designing were, you know, seemed sometimes a little outlandish to me. And then um, I took the entry exam uh, for the Antwerp school and we were just sort of like drawing busts for hours and hours on end that I was like, this is not what I imagined it would be. And so I asked one of the professors there, I was like, um, you know, is this what you do in fashion school? Like I thought I would be playing with fabrics and draping on mannequins and being very hands-on. And so thankfully, the professor told me very frankly, she was like, well, the first year, um, you know, you'd be doing this like live drawing and uh, about for about 20 hours a week. And, you know, I mean, I liked being creative, but I was always a materials person. Like I wasn't really a, much of a drawer. Um, so I just basically left. I was like, you know, if I'm being very honest with myself, like, I don't think this is for me. And I walked out feeling a little bit lost and disillusioned. But um, I remember another professor briefly spoke with me before I walked out. I think it was actually Walter von Berendonck. And he said, well, you know, if you are excited about this world, you will be a part of it. You know, there's not just this, you know, designer role that you can have. There's lots of other, other roles. Um, and that sort of like piqued my interest. And at the time, Belgium had a pretty interesting magazine scene. Um, there was a magazine in particular called Flair that was like doing just really cool stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just thought, you know what, maybe I'll just go into the magazine world. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll focus on that and sort of like helping these designers express their vision in print. And, um, you know, that storytelling side really attracted me as well. And so funnily enough, like in Belgium at the time, if you wanted to do anything in magazines or journalism, um, the studies that you would uh, go into was political and social sciences. That was considered like a very solid base for anyone wanting to do any sort of writing or reporting. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I went to the University of Ghent and I, you know, embarked on these academic studies and then I threw in um, an anthropology degree as well. Uh, needless to say, I was pretty miserable. <laughs> uh, I mean, I really plowed through those years uh, with, you know, just... I was just trying to write about fashion all the time. Like I remember every single paper I had to write, every single research project. It was, I just found a way to make it about fashion. <laughs> and how, you know, did the, how did the professors react? Well, they were open to it um, because, you know, there, there's actually surprisingly a lot of scientific work done around fashion. So, you know, especially in the sociology field, like I was able to like write about how, you know, I mean, there's that typical famous study that was done about how the length of the skirts fluctuate with the economy and the general mental state of society, <laughs> subjects like that. You know, there was a lot of like 
subcultural studies I did around the punk movement and things like that. So yeah, there, there's, there's, there's enough sort of meat on the bone <laughs> to yeah. get through an academic study with, with a big focus on fashion. And I have to say, like, ever since I was even like a teenager, when I was in high school, um, you know, I once had the audacity to like pick up the phone and call the newspaper, um, you know, where there was a journalist working there, a fashion journalist that I thought was writing really amazing pieces. And I just called him up and got to talk to this woman. And I just asked her, like, you know, can I come one day and just like shadow you and see what, you know, what your job is and, you know, learn if it's if it's indeed something for me. Um, and so she sort of like chuckled and she was like, sure, why not? Like, I've never had a 14 year old intern or however old I was, but um, I did take the train. My mom allowed me to go and I just, you know, sat by the side of this woman all day you know, as she was showing me where she got all the imagery for from the couture shows that were going on in Paris, I was like, wait a minute, she's not actually there. She's actually just taking these images from a press agency. <laughs> I was a little disillusioned. But um, yeah, I always had a lot of initiative. Like I was pretty determined to, you know, find my way in that world. And I had like zero family connections, you know, like in that world, I just had to sort of like, you know, intuition. Yeah, make my way in there somehow. Amazing. So I know that after school, you have moved quite a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Would you tell us all the places that you lived? Yes. So the first place I moved to was London. And this was actually just the most amazing um, th yeah, adventure and coincidence. Um, I once went to London and just on a little city trip, And I was scouted by a modeling agency in Topshop, of all places. And um, this was a really great modeling agency. I mean, I'd never in a million years, years thought about modeling before. I never thought that, you know, I was cut out for that. But this agency, you know, was very reputable and one of the biggest ones. And I thought, okay, maybe I should, you know, give this a shot. And so I started traveling quite a bit to London when I was in college uh, for various shoots and, and things like that. And, you know, I realized like this was going to be my way into the fashion world. And the most amazing thing about it was that I got to be behind the scenes. I got to observe all the various roles there were. You know, I learned all about like wholesale jobs and marketing jobs and you know, the people that organize the show and do the PR. And so I really got to take a closer look at, you know, all those various jobs that, you know, you could, you could do in fashion. And, and it really exposed me um, to the reality of it. And as soon as I was done with my studies, you know, I just got on the Eurostar and moved there and I had no plan. Like everyone was asking me, like, are you doing some sort of post-grad or, Are you doing like a student exchange program? Like, what's the deal here? And I was like, no, I just like London. I just, you know, I, I always felt a bit like, you know, Ghent, where I was studying, felt felt small and, and I wanted to get out of there. And, um, you know, in London, I felt like I could really breathe and be myself. And, mm -hmm. you know, this was like the year 2002. I lived in East London. It was like the heyday of Shoreditch and Hackney and the parties and the music and It was an, an incredibly creative period, so I loved it there. Um, obviously, I was completely broke um, and <laughs> looking for internships there. And as soon as I got an internship with uh, a designer there, it was a de designer duo called Budica, 
um, I just gave up the modeling and focused on, you know, becoming a fashion professional. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then I was in London, I think for about three years in total. Um, after that initial internship with Boudica, um, I took my first paid job with two Central St. Martin's graduates who wanted to set up their own label. Um, I worked for them for about a year, I think, just helping them get set up, really. Like, I helped them get incorporated and find a PR agency, find a showroom, organize their first show. Um, you know, I was literally involved in every single aspect um, besides design and production. Um, and about a year into the job, um, it was New Year's. I went to Barcelona to visit a friend. Um, and I remember, like, on the 2nd of January, I get this phone call from a Belgian man um, who got my phone number through his best friend. And he was working at Karl Lagerfeld. He had just joined Karl Lagerfeld. And he called me and he said, yeah, you know, I have an open position. And I talked about it to my best friend. And she remembered you as a showroom model in Antwerp, um, you know, working for one of the Belgian designers. And she said, yeah, she remembered that you, you know, spoke your languages and that you were set on working in fashion and she knew that you would move to London. So we, we tracked you down. We found your number. <laughs> and I was just so amazed by that. And I thought, this is just incredible. And he put me on a plane to come meet him in Antwerp. And it was just love at first sight. Um, you know, he was my first, you know, the first boss that like truly took me under his wing. Um, he had helped set up uh, Raf Simmons at the time. Then he went to work for Dries van Noten. Um, and then he had taken this job at Karl Lagerfeld. So to me, he was like super cool, very knowledgeable. Um, and, you know, the great thing was that I was super young. I was 25 when he offered me the job. You know, I had relatively little experience, but he really saw the potential in me. He trusted me. Um, you know, I had so much responsibility and so much freedom in my, in my work with him. Um, I, you know, the idea was that I was working on the wholesale, wholesale side of things, but, you know, he, you know, I got to be involved in PR. I got to be involved in the business side of things. And, um, the only downside to the job was that it was in Amsterdam. Uh, so I had to move from London to Amsterdam. Okay. And yeah. And from Amsterdam, where did you go? Well, so three, I was in Amsterdam for, I think, about two and a half years. And um, my boss had moved to Paris. I had a new boss. And, you know, I kind of felt a little stagnant. Like, I felt like, okay, I have the coolest job in fashion in Amsterdam. It doesn't get better than this. Um, my boss isn't going anywhere. So, you know, I didn't really see the opportunity for growth. Um, Karl Lagerfeld at the time was owned by the Tommy Hilfiger group and there was tons of opportunity for me in the Tommy brand, but I just didn't feel like that was the place for me to be. I wanted to be in high fashion. I wanted to work for, you know, for what I consider to be a true designer. Sorry, Tommy. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I felt like, you know, no, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, to compromise. Like I, I want to grow. I want to be ambitious. I want to get opportunities. And so I spoke to my boss and I said, you know, I'm going to quit, um, you know, take your time to find someone else. And when you have someone else, I'm leaving. And um, the word kind of got around in the company. And it just so happened that around that time, I had to do a presentation in Paris to the whole Karl Lagerfeld 
organization, including the New York office. And, you know, after my presentation was done, the president of the New York office went to my boss and said, oh, Annalise, you know, did a good job there. And he was like, yeah, sadly, she just, you know, resigned. Um, and that woman asked him, like, would you mind if I asked her to move to New York and work for me? And she did. And I just I remember getting the email from her and my boss was sitting across from me because we had our desk, uh, desks facing each other. And my face just went and I was like, you're not going to believe this, you know? And he was just chuckling and he said, yeah, I, you know, I want you to go. And, you know, um, if that's the only way that we can keep you in the company, then you should just go. And um, a few weeks later, I moved to New York. Oh, wow. Yeah. And what year was that? It was in October, 2008, which was possibly the worst time uh, to move to New York. Yeah, how was it being in New York and starting starting a new job in 2008? I mean, to be honest, it was uh, a mixed bag. I mean, of course, it was incredibly exciting. I had been to New York before and, you know, I had always sort of thought that that would be the ultimate place to live. But, you know, not, you know, being European, the whole visa thing was known to me to be difficult and expensive. So I thought, you know, I thought it wasn't going to happen. And then it just was offered to me like that. Um, so I, I just felt like I have to go for it. And, you know, I didn't really care about what was happening on Wall Street. I was convinced that, you know, that wasn't going to affect us. But of course it did. And I think um, what was hard for me was that um, in our office in Amsterdam, you know, we had a very collegial spirit. Everybody worked cross-functionally. That was just normal was a very horizontal organization, not much hierarchy to speak of. And then I come into an environment in New York where people are like holding on for dear life, like making sure that they defend their positions, that defend their jobs. So that whole collaborative, um, you know, that collaborative spirit that I was really thriving in and that I was so happy in in Amsterdam that just wasn't there. And I felt, you know, isolated. Like I, I didn't have very many people that I could go to for advice or help or mentorship. Um, I think everyone was just very much focused on their own survival. Um, at the same time, my personal life, uh, you know, I had married my boyfriend so that he could come with me to the US. And, um, you know, he just didn't land well in New York, um, wasn't happy, things were falling apart there as well. So mm -hmm. it was just generally, I would say a very challenging time. Um, but, you know, I, I, if I could do it over, I would just do it again. I mean, except maybe I would have not married the boyfriend, but other than that, I would have done it exactly the same way. Okay. So interesting. And and can you tell us from you had a very unusual and unlinear career path, if I if I can say that. And can you tell us how what took you from from this job in New York that you just explained that it wasn't going how you imagined that was going to where you are right now? Sure. So at the time when I moved to New York, I was really brought on board to manage all the licensed businesses for Karl Lagerfeld. And, um, you know, that was super interesting. I actually really enjoyed that job. It was just sort of the macroeconomic environment that was stressful. 
Um, and, you know, being European and depending on an employer for a visa in time of economical turmoil, it's quite a stressful situation to be in. So I kind of just wanted to take charge of my own destiny. And I realized that the only way to do that was by starting my own company and having, you know, the entrepreneur visa. Um, and then at the same time, you know, I felt like, okay, at that point, I think I had been working in fashion coming up to like 10 years. I had a pretty decent network. Um, I felt like maybe it was time for me to, you know, to do something on my own. Um, it, it still took me like a year or two, you know, I was like wandering a little bit and like I was a little bit lost trying out various, you know, other roles in the company and just not, not really finding my place until um, I met, I sort of reconnected with a Belgian investor who I had met 10 years prior. And I just happened to run into him when I was in Belgium. And he was like, you know, what are you doing now? And, you know, he had told me when I was like 26 years old, if you ever want to start your own business, I would be interested in backing you. And, you know, I just basically ran into that guy again at the right time. And he was like, listen, I still stand by that. And if you have any ideas that you want to propose to me, I'm totally open to it. So I started working on doing some market research and developing, you know, an idea for, for my own brand, which was, um, it ended up being a sort of mix and match swimwear brand. Um, and yeah, I ended up partnering with, with this man and starting this business. And, you know, I just, I felt like it's either that or I go back to Europe. Um, mm -hmm. And so I chose the entrepreneurial route with, uh, you know, all that comes with that. Amazing. And how did, um, what year you started your brand? Um, I think I started it in 2011 and launched my first collection in 2012, which, you know, you sold in your showroom. That's how we know each other. Yeah. Um, I think it must have been around that time. Yeah. And it was, I call it like a caterpillar to butterfly process. I really had to sort of reinvent myself from being an employee with that mindset to being an entrepreneur. Um, there were a lot quite of a sleepless change. nights. Yeah, quite a change. It's just like, it's quite a different way to think about your job, right? Like you have to be so holistic um, you really see the impact of every single decision you take. Um, you know, it's, it's a huge responsibility and I took it very, very seriously and I had lots of sleepless nights, but then at one point I just sort of flipped the switch and I was in just go, go, go mode. And, um, I was extremely ambitious. I think I, I should have had more of like a MVP mindset where it was just like, okay, let me put out a small range of a few bathing suits and see what catches on. But mm -hmm. that's not how I tend to do things. I was very thorough and I had a big collection plan and I wanted only the best fabrics and only the best print designer and print manufacturing and everything was done in Italy and France and it was all quite pricey. Uh, I had like a PR agency from the get-go and a sales agent and, you know, I had all the bells and whistles. So, um, you know, I was burning through cash quickly and that would obviously, you know, made me quite anxious. And I think all in all, like I was super proud of the, of the collections that, that I put out. I think, you know, they were beautiful, 
um, and they they found I think they found their audience too. But the day-to-day running of the business for me, like all the operational nuts and bolts kind of work, um, you know, that really didn't give me very much satisfaction at all. And I think about two years in, I realized like, wow, I've sort of created a monster. Like the, you know, the creative side of things and the strategic side of things is just such a tiny percentage of your time expenditure. And then the rest of the time, I was just like negotiating rates with shipping partners and, you know, working on like insurances and yeah. you know production agreements and dealing with all kinds of delays. And, you know, that didn't feel like a satisfying creative career to me anymore. And I became to, you know, to feel a little bit burnt out. Yeah, I, by I it all. understand that. Yeah. So fast forwarding um, a few years, I remember... Uh, a few months ago when you called me to give the news about your job offer and I thought wow how special and wonderful to get a job to create beauty with with flowers in the middle of all this darkness that's happening right now Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about your your role now yeah so um this is again an uh, an opportunity that you know I really didn't see coming um I moved back to Europe at the end of 2017 I was living in Brussels working as a brand strategist um you know I was you know building building a life in Europe and and feeling quite quite happy um and then you know this friend of mine calls me and he's like hey um you know I became the CEO at um FTD which uh, by the way for those who don't know it's um one of the oldest flower companies in the US it's uh, 110 years old and we basically are a collective uh, of thousands of florists all over the states um that create and deliver flowers in local markets all through the country and there's a centralized creative strategy uh, where we you know design floral arrangements and then work with the florists on executing and delivering them and uh, this company started out as a collective it was actually a cooperative and um you know went through lots of of uh, change recently uh, went bankrupt just 15 months ago and then got bought by a private equity partner who appointed uh, you know my then friend now boss uh, Charlie Cole as CEO and I had known Charlie uh, from New York when he was a CEO at the line and they were interested in in carrying my collection and then he was also interested in potentially investing in my collection and we didn't end up doing business because it just wasn't right for me but we always kept in touch and um, I always really respected his intelligence and he just has like the most insane e-commerce track record, um, very successful at, at driving e-commerce businesses. So when he approached me and said, hey, I need like a head of creative for this company, um, you know, do you know anyone in the States that you can recommend for this job? And, you know, we talked about it, you know, and and as he was telling me the story of the company, I was like, this kind of sounds amazing. And then I was looking at the websites, you know, ftd.com, proflowers.com. And, you know, I was like, literally everything about this company can use a creative overhaul. And, you know, from the branding to the product assortment, um, the vases that we sell those arrangements in. Um, you know, I also really didn't recognize that this was a florist collective. 
Um, you know, that's not just not really visible in how the brand expresses itself. So I just saw the potential of what this could be. And, you know, I just said to Charlie, like, you know what, I might be interested, um, you know, in taking this, this job myself. And so he was excited, had me speak to the entire um, executive leadership team. I was just amazed by how lovely and inspiring everyone was that I met. Um, it's a mix of, you know, old management from before the bankruptcy and new people that Charlie brought on, um, you know, a lot of women that he put in leadership uh, positions, which I really liked as well. So, you know, at the end of all these conversations, I was just feeling so incredibly excited. And then he talked to me about, you know, more the, the nuts and bolts side of things and the financial side of things. And then he said, yeah, by the way, you know, you would also have a seat in the executive leadership team. And I was like, well, this is just too good to pass up. Um, you know, I need to give this a try. And so I started this job in May in the middle of the lockdown um, from Portugal, where I was actually on vacation and decided to stay since I was going to work remotely anyway. Um, I'm leading a team of people that I have never met in person. Um, from all my coworkers, Charlie's the only person that I've ever met in person. Um, and so it's been just like an incredible ride and a big adventure. And I think what's really unique for me about this role is that, um, you know, I head up creative, which means product development, design, um, branding, but also PR and purpose. So all of our charitable giving, uh, charitable partnerships, um, the way we try to hire more diversely, all things like that are, are under my helm, which um, I think that's very unique and very exciting. So yeah, I just felt like I just couldn't pass up on the opportunity. And I'm really glad I didn't because it's been, it's been a lot of fun so far. Well, that's an amazing story. Thank you, Annelise, for your time. And I hope it was as inspiring for the people listening as it was for me. Thanks, Anna. This was really a very fun way to start the day. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the CoLab Career Stories. Follow us on social media at Join the CoLab and join us so you can tell your story.